This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we focus on Colombia, the concerns in rural areas about the Civil War and development. We'll also discuss Colombian culture and social customs. But first, Sarah Hancock is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Puerto Rico defaulted on its debts this week, further worsening the island's financial crisis. The island's government was due to make a $58 million payment, but instead could only find a tiny fraction of that to pay. The island's total debt stands at $72 billion. White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest says the Obama administration has no plans to step into the crisis. The administration does not envision a, a bailout for Puerto Rico, uh, but where available federal assistance can be leveraged to assist the leaders of Puerto Rico in meeting uh, some of their financial obligations, uh, we stand ready to help. The Obama administration has appointed a task force to advise Puerto Rico's government. So far, the U.S. Congress has also not responded directly to Puerto Rico's problems, although several committees have discussed various ideas. Puerto Rico's governor says he hopes the island's debtors will restructure the debt, so the island only has to start repaying again in two years. Mexican cartel leader Joaquin El Chapo Shorty Guzman may be the most wanted man in his home country, but the United States also wants him captured. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, issued an award of $5 million for information leading directly to his arrest this week. Guzman escaped from a maximum security prison last month. His cartel dug a mile-long tunnel to his jail cell, and the drug lord successfully slipped away. His second daring escape from a Mexican prison in the past 15 years. Guzman is the leader of the Sinaloa cartel, which the DEA lists as the most powerful drug organization in the world. Guzman is wanted on U.S. federal warrants for drug trafficking in a variety of states, but the DEA believes he is in hiding in Mexico. Colombia's government announced plans this week to purchase and redistribute two and a half million acres of land to its poor. This new policy is part of the land reform efforts coming out of the peace negotiations in Havana. Colombia's government has met for more than two years in Cuba with leaders of the country's main rebel group to iron out conditions for peace. The country has fought a civil war for the past 51 years, leaving at least 200,000 people dead. Communist and socialist leaders organized landless tenant farmers and have fought on their behalf for a more equitable distribution of land in the country. So land rights are one of the cornerstones of the rebel cause. So far, though, those peace talks have yet to yield a final plan to end the war. We'll have more on the Colombian situation later on this program. A Facebook posting in Brazil has led to the discovery of a new plant, the second largest carnivorous plant in the hemisphere. German researchers confirmed the discovery in the recent publication of a scientific paper. Researchers named the plant the Magnificent Sundew. An amateur botanist in Brazil posted a picture of the sundew on his Facebook page, where the German research team stumbled upon it and investigated further. 
The plant can be found on a mountain in the Brazilian jungle and grows to the height of four and a half feet with large multicolored and sticky leaves that resemble tentacles. The plant eats bugs as large as dragonflies. But the plant is so rare, it's already classified as endangered. For Latin Pulse, I'm Sierra Hancock. Thanks, Sierra. This week, our focus returns to Colombia. As we heard earlier, the Colombian government and the country's primary rebel group, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, have spent more than two years negotiating a potential peace agreement. Colombia's president, Juan Manuel Santos, has staked his presidency on making peace, but polls reveal most Colombians think the peace efforts will fail. But what exactly is the view from Colombia's rural areas, still struggling with millions displaced by the war? We spoke with Jack Lown about his views. Lown is with the Columbia Support Network. Lown is just back from several weeks of work in Columbia. We reached him at his group's busy headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin, via Skype. Well, uh, the war has had tremendous effects. The, the, uh, the, the conflict between the, uh, the guerrillas uh, and the, and the uh, Colombian government has had uh, substantial effects. Um, a lot of people have been displaced, and, and of course there, there are other elements that are very important, the paramilitaries, which work closely with the Colombian army and the Colombian police, have been responsible for pushing some six million people out of their, out of their homes. Colombia, uh, I think, is second to Syria, perhaps, now, in terms of the, uh, the number of uh, internally displaced people in the country. It's, it's, uh, many, many people have been forced out of their homes. Um, that's a tremendous problem. It's also a problem in the in the countryside that the government has developed a number of plans that are very beneficial for large-scale multinational corporate plans or programs, uh, particularly in the mining and, and petroleum areas. And a lot of these have been uh, very harmful to people who live in small villages. Another thing that's been very harmful is the is the uh, the Colombia-United States Free Trade Agreement, which has placed uh, products such as, I think, uh, rice and other products in Colombia at prices that are below the, the cost of the campesinos growing those products and marketing them, and therefore they've lost the market. Um, the idea of the President of Colombia is basically to have high, high, high input, high value uh, crops grown many of them for export, but grown in, in large uh, in large scale production. And uh, that uh, really has no place for the campesinos, for the small scale farmers in most of Colombia. There is a discussion that it has come out of the peace process about land reform. The government wants uh, 2.5 million acres as part of this particular program. Are, are you telling me that in your view, from what you know, that that is going to turn into an issue that is more a benefit for agribusiness rather than these communities? I think that's probably true. There is a, pro, a plan that the government has to determine which are baldios, they call them. These are untitled lands, essentially, that belong to the, essentially to the government, to have those titled in the hands of smallholders. But there's not going to be any basic structure that's going to permit those smallholders to uh, to work those lands profitably, and I think the result is going to be that they're going to be scooped up by large-scale uh, agricultural concerns. But the idea is that there can be large-scale production, some of it for export. 
there's a story that maybe a Japanese are interested in an area in the Eastern Plains area where they would um, where they would grow food that essentially would be uh, sent back to Japan because they don't have enough area to grow food. But all of this is large-scale agricultural production. That's what the government is really favoring. And I think that leaves the small-scale grower, the campesino, at a real disadvantage. You, during your trip, I think had some concerns about these development issues. You were in rural southern Colombia in, in the Putumayo region. What did you see there in regards to this push for a particular model of development for the area? Well, what we saw there was uh, we visited the site of a road that's under construction. It's a major highway, and it comes uh, from Brazil. The idea is that this uh, there would be a, a kind of an Amazon highway. Part of it uh, uh, would be uh, in part of the river, the Amazon River, um, in Brazil. It would come all the way from uh, Berlin on the uh, Atlantic coast in Brazil to Tobacco on the Pacific coast in in Colombia, and another part of it would go south to uh, to Peru and reach the Pacific coast in Peru. This this uh, is obviously uh, in uh, where we saw it in Silindoy Valley in Putumayo uh, department. Uh, what we saw was uh, a development of this road in order, I think, to uh, please uh, mining companies and petroleum companies, which have. Um, production facilities in Putumayo or wish to establish them there so that they'll be able to get their products out to an international market easily. They can't do it on a bad road. That not, the road that is, exists now is in, in very bad shape and they can't use that road for big trucks that you know, will be taking petroleum and, uh, and particularly mining um, products. Building a bigger and better road seems like a reasonable development plan to many people. What do the people in that region think about that? Uh, don't they want a better road? Well, the indigenous people don't want a better road. They like to use their old, their old uh, the, the, what they call the Sachamadis Trail. Um, uh, but uh, there, there are people there who do think that this would be uh, a good development because it would bring, uh, it would bring it would allow people, farmers, for instance, uh, to um, market their crops more easily. Uh, it would certainly bring more people into the into the area of the valley, the Suvinoy Valley, and for commerce and tourism, those might be might be positive in those respects. But the people in the indigenous communities are quite concerned that this is going to dry up the valley because they see the winds come on high, hot winds come off the eastern plains, go through it as a tremendously uh, rainy and 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 wet area, which we visited there. I wonder if you could just. Tell us, what are the environmental concerns that the people in the region have? Well, they're very much concerned that this is going to interfere with their water supply and for drinking water, for, for using their crops, um, for growing crops. Uh, and, uh, and from what we could observe, it seems to be a good, uh, a good assessment of what's going to happen with this. Um, they're also concerned about the way that the, the rivers are being and develop, they're, they're taking um, um, gravel and other products out of the other, other parts of the, out of the river and putting them on the road, on the roadway, and that has, has affected the course of the rivers. And one of them is the Putumaya River that runs through this major river in Colombia. Uh, 
So they're concerned about the way that uh, both that it may cause drought and the way that it's affecting their, their river resources. I wonder if there are any other issues of concern for the communities that you visited on your recent trip. Well, one of the major concerns, we went first to the city of Bucaramanga in Santander province, and uh, their concern is that the water supply may be severely affected by mining that's going up in, 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 uh, in a place called, uh, an area called Santa Ron, which is a high highland area where water is produced. And they're very much concerned that the, that the water supply will be contaminated by the work of, of these uh, international mining companies. Um, we went up there and took a look at, at some of the uh, construction that's gone on, and it's very worrisome. I think it, it, it does look like it's going to severely affect the water supply in, in for the city of Bucaramanga, which is, has about 800,000 population, uh, the fifth largest city in the country, and in uh, some other areas, smaller towns. So that's a, that's a real concern. And another concern that's related to that is that there are a number of small-scale miners who've been working gold mines for centuries, literally centuries, in this area, a, a place called California. We went up to uh, this place uh, called town, a small town called California, which has been there for hundreds of years, probably 400 years or more. And uh, the problem there, a lot of the people see, is that the small-scale miners who've lived from this, uh, from the mountains, and and uh, and produced for for the community of uh, California, their 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 livelihood is really severely threatened because the government is trying to organize mining in such a way that really it's going to pretty much force most of the small-scale miners out. They say that the miners, first of all, you need a title. Many of these people don't have title to the lands, that the, the mine areas that they're working. And then secondly, uh, if you have a title, you need to follow all of the requirements that they make, uh, such as environmental impact statement and a bunch of other requirements that are very expensive. So that the international mining companies, and one of them called Echo Oro, there, it's a Canadian a multinational company, Canadian Colombian company, they have, uh, they're able to pay these fees and, and for these uh, uh, studies that are required by the law, but the small scale farmer isn't able to pay those. We got to see things in three different communities. I didn't mention Marmato, which is a, a, far, a, a mining community that's existed for uh, right near 500 years. Uh, and uh, one of the first places settled by the Spaniards when they came to uh, what is now Colombia. And uh, the problem there is the problem I discussed about the small scale miners really being forced out by large scale mines. They had a, a Canadian um, Colombian company, multinational, which proposed to do an open pit mine, and, and they would, they would, to get to that open pit mine, they would destroy the village, that's their historic village, and they'd put some, some of the hospital and the church and a few things down in the valley below and try to move the town down there. They wanted to get something like $18 billion worth of gold and silver out of that mine, out of that mountain, within 20 years. And so it was a you know, big plans that we were able to, with the community, we were able to stop the, the destruction of the village. At least they're apparently not going to do that. It still is, a, the small-scale miners are still very much affected by these plans that, where the government says that they have to comply with all the requirements that the multinational businesses have to comply with. 
So how did you stop it? Did you organize protests? Did you get lobby the government? Well, we we met with um, we met with the company leadership of the president of the company, and uh, made our views known and those of the small scale miners. And we took uh, the leader of the community organization with us to meet with the president of the of the mining company in Bogota. I think we made our views very clear. And then we had two people with us from Canada on that, uh, on that um, delegation. And they went back. One of them was a journalist, and he wrote some articles that were rather negative and I think actually affected the, the price on the Toronto market for their shares of stock, which is a way of, of, of getting at these companies. You know, if they, they, they depend on what they present to the public so that they get uh, investment. And if we interfere with that by showing that they're doing something that's going to be very negative to the environment or to the people who live in this area, uh, then people may not invest so much or they may change their investments and their investments went down in that case. And they, I think they didn't have enough money to, to pursue immediately what they had planned to do. Thank you so much, Jack Lown of the Columbia Support Network. Our guest today on Latin Pulse joining us via Skype from Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Coming up, the personal views of an immigrant from Colombia. We'll hear her story and her family's story. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This week, as we're reflecting on the Colombian experience, we talk to Maria Amparo Holmes about her memories. Amparo Holmes emigrated from Colombia... And that's one of the key topics in her bilingual book, Conexiones, Connections, Making the Most of the Moment. She was inspired to write the book to honor the death of her son in an automobile accident. We spoke to her on location in suburban St. Louis, Missouri. I wrote this book inspired by my son, Andrew Thomas Valentino. I lost him in 2010. My book is about love, hope, and faith. And so your son was the inspiration for this book. Yes, he was. That's correct. This book is a lot about his experience, obviously, through his writing, but it's also about your experience, the experience of someone who is an immigrant to this country. It is. My book has a section on culture, the experience that I had coming to this country, uh, tasting the different food for the first time. So does the book talk at all about your experience in Colombia? It does. It does. It tells us um, how we grew up, how our mother used to make our clothes. There was four girls in the family, and my mother would sew all of our clothes, all the same, just different colors. It also talks about our education, our school, what my father did for a living. It also talks about the food that we grew up eating, how we celebrate different uh, festivities and different holidays is all in my book. And I know that people that has written my book already has really been inspired by learning about the different culture 
and the way of different living. So you grew up in a part of Colombia, Puerto Perrido. Yes, I grew up, I was born in Colombia, South America, in Puerto Berrido, a very small area where my father was going to graduate to be a doctor. And yes, I was the first baby my father delivered. And so why did your family decide to leave Colombia? My father had a passion for people. He had a passion for helping others. He wanted to be a psychiatrist. So in order for him to do that, we will, want, we will have to come to the United States where my father was going to come to school to, be, to become a psychiatrist. So our home was the state hospital on the fifth floor. It was a wonderful experience because it taught us about humanity, about caring. Why did we come to St. Louis, Missouri? Because it was a song that my father and my mother loved. My father used to sing to my mother, Meet You in St. Louis. Beautiful song. So that's why they decided this will be our home. So tell me a little bit about what you remember about your, your home in Puerto Berrido. What, what part of Colombia is that, and, and do you remember what it looks like? Yes. My country was so, is so beautiful. Our mountains, our palm trees... Those are memories that I would always treasure, my memories growing up in my country. So those years would have been at the very beginning of the war period. Did you feel the war in, in the country at that time at all? No. In the part that we lived in Colombia, we lived in a very safe area, very safe area. Now, we still have people that could bring into your home, yes. My father was the president of the neighborhood. And we had watchmen watch our neighbors at nighttime. So we never really, I never really experienced any of that. So I'm guessing that Puerto Berrido is still not touched by the war. No. Puerto Berrido is a very small part of Colombia. And it's really located in Medellin, where I was born. I was born in Medellin, but I was raised in Cali, which is the second city, the second largest city of Colombia. Now, in Medellin, we had the festivity of the flowers. For weeks, people will come out with just flowers and flowers, bouquets, and they made trees of flowers of every kind. A lot of dancing, because as we know, the roses from this country, they all come from my country. Beautiful flowers. And so that will be celebrated in August. And do you write about this part of the culture in your book. It is in my book. What do you miss the most about Colombia? What I miss the most about Colombia is my family, my food. There's so much food that I cannot get in this country. Uh, a lot of the festivities. My country is always going to be my country. I'm always going to miss my country. But I also love United States. It is my home now. And I, whenever I went back to Colombia, I was beginning to really miss United States too because I've been here for so long. And I made this my home and my family. You really have two countries then? I do have two countries. I have Colombia, who taught me so much, and America, United States of America, that has really, truly taught me a lot too. I think you shared with me that you had family coming. 
I do. We have my father and his wife and two kids. They're going to come in a week. I have my four brothers. Actually, now there's, now there's five. Five brothers and three, four sisters with the other girl. Four sisters and their husbands and their wife and all the children. We're going to have another family reunion. Obviously, when you have a family reunion, you, you talk about things that are part of the family, and I'm, I'm sure there will be some time to remember your son during that period. What are the other topics that, that may come up during, during such our a family time? reunion? Listening to our music, dancing. Dancing is who we are. We began to dance from the time that we can walk. Every Christmas, every get together, we dance the cumbia. What does the cumbia mean? It means relationship. It talks about who we are. Whenever we do a dance, we are telling you a story. And the cumbia is when the guy is trying to conquer the girl. And through the dance, we're talking about the Indians, the Africans, and the Spaniards, how we all came together. I danced that dance from the time I could walk with my father so many times for hours and hours. We'll be dancing, eating arroz con pollo, sancocho, our Colombian food. Do you write about cumbia in, in the book? And I do. Do you write about dance? Tell us some of what you write about in the book about dance. Okay. Dancing, everybody dances. Like, there's parties every weekend in Colombia. Every weekend there's parties. And everybody's invited. That means the parents, the children, they all go together. And everybody dances. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's something that's so important as we're growing up, boys and girls together, and family to enrich our family in that manner. And cumbia, bambucos, bujerengues, paso doble, those are very much part of our dancing. Merengue too? Merengue too, yes. And salsa, yes, yes. What other parts of the culture haven't we discussed that you think we uh, should? Another thing that I wanted to talk about it was um, in Colombia on Easter's, every child gets a maceta. Coming to this country on Easter uh, time as I was growing up in this country, I was like, when are the macetas going to be here? Why don't we get no macetas? Well, come to find out. We don't have macetas in this country. We have the Easter Bunny. And macetas in my country, every child gets a tree of different colors and different branches full of candies and big, huge lollipops. And it's all covered in glitter paper of pink or yellow or blue, just different colors. And it's all tied in big ribbons. That's a very traditional my country. What else do you think we should discuss? The schools. Nobody is lunch at school. You all go home for lunch. All the boys, the girls, even the parents go home for lunch. And after lunch, you all take a siesta. They take a nap for an hour. You go back to school, and the parents go back to work. So this is, this is interesting because the death of the siesta culture in other parts of Latin America. And there are parts of Latin America where siesta culture is still alive. Very much, yes. Yes, it is. Very much, yes. It's a tradition. It is who we are. 
Everybody goes to bed. They're happy to take their naps. Even the small children. We all did. Yes. So if I go to Puerto Barrito now. You will take a siesta. Yes. You will take a siesta and you go back to work. Yes. You know, it's amazing how we all get used to one part of the country until we experience another part of another world. Well, thank you so much. Our guest today on Latin Pulse, Maria Amparo Holmes, the author of Connections, Making the Most of the Moment. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week for Latin Pulse. This summer, Latin Pulse is available on a variety of new online platforms, including the new website, Latin America Goes Global. You can find us there at Latin America Goes Global, all one word, dot O-R-G. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud. You may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. This Latin Pulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives on video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, production assistant Sierra Hancock and producer Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. Music